coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. I am always Adam, the fucking pilot, and I'm going to dive right in. Let's just get started and find out uh, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Yes, hello. Uh, I'm Greg Crozier. Um, I'm a professional skydiver and uh, tunnel coach. Okay. I'm Lee, and I'm also a professional skydiver since 2015. Uh, I used to be a designer, and uh, now we are, we're working in skydiving as tunnel coach and sky coach. Okay. Now, what kind of designer were you? I was an interior designer, but I used to work for uh, yachts, private oh, wow. yachts. Okay. All right. I, I'm always amazed at the, the varied backgrounds that skydivers have when they come to it uh, and end up swapping out one for the other and end up jumping for a living. Now, uh, and speaking of design, I got to know right off the bat, who comes up with the jumpsuits? Because your guys' jumpsuits are <laughs> fucking cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, actually, I, I figured like we were doing an artistic uh, discipline and I thought like it was lacking a bit of creativity of all the skydivers, like all the free flyers um, were just like regular matching suits guys. And um, I, I thought it was a bit of a shame that there was only freestyle expressing more uh, artistic side. So I decided to go with a theme for uh, the world championship in Australia. And okay. since it was uh, such a, a very cool country for us to go and uh, compete. Uh, I tried like find something really representative and symbolic um, of Australia, and uh, I had the the idea of going for the Aboriginal theme. And then uh, I started like trying to think about what um, design they use, and actually they use more like curved uh, mm. lines of stuff, but it wasn't aggressive enough. So I went uh, more into the way of um, hunting. And I inspired myself with, with all the like arrows and dots that they use. Well, it turned out so spectacular because, I mean, I've seen all the pictures that have gone out on social media and, and uh, uh, the pictures that are on the, in the magazines and on the covers of the magazines. And the jumpsuits are so striking that you forget that that picture was taken over the top of the fucking pyramids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's this, this jumpsuit is jumping out at you and the matching helmets and everything. And I, I got sucked into trying to figure out what the fuck was going on with the jumpsuits. It was super cool. <laughs> Thank you. So let's let's back it way, way up because we, we dove into the deep end too early. So how did you guys both get into skydiving? And was skydiving kind of your only uh, extreme sport or have you done more than that? Um, I'm so sorry. I got the message. Uh, I got – Sorry. Okay. Um, can you ask the question again? I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's quite all right. I was just asking, uh, taking a step all the way back, how did you get into skydiving and was skydiving your guy's first extreme sport or did you have others that kind of led towards it? That's a very good question. Um, my father was the pilot, but very small uh, private pilot. So he was flying since he was like 16 or 17. So uh, I started to fly when I was very small. And um, and then like um, there's like all the drop zone and the pond break and all these movies, and I was like, wow, flying is cool, but jumping from the plane is even more like badass. So I started to think about this, and uh, yeah, I, I I took some. Um, um, I wanted to see uh, how old we're supposed to to be to jump, and then I realized. You needed to be 16 in France, so I was just waiting to be 16, and I started right away. Wow! So, and this was this was because of movies like Point Break, even in France. Exactly, exactly. I have to ah. say thank you, uh, Patrick Swayze and Kenny Reeves. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean they got me as well, man. The movie Point Break and the other one, Drop Zone, with uh, Wesley Snipes. Between those two movies, there was no way I wasn't going to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> but Point and, Break uh, was the on, one. On my side. Um, yeah. I was traveling a lot with my parents and I used to like get stuck to the window and and also we used to quite a lot and I really loved the sensation of speed that I, I could get. 
And I guess like skydiving would, would be the perfect match of uh, speed, sensation and being in the sky. So I just went for it. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, now, so both of you were relatively young when you started skydiving. How did your folks handle you wanting to jump out of an airplane at 16 years old? Uh, that's interesting. So I, I brought with me my best friend because I was kind of, I was too scared to, to do it on my own. And uh, my dad was very against this anyway. So I said, okay, I need at least my my, my first mate with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So... Um, so it was easy to convince him anyway. But we started also with the static line, which was the scariest thing ever, but it was less expensive. It <laughs> had to be. So yeah, we just uh, been for it. Like we said, okay, let's let's do this. And uh, even if we're scared, we just do a couple of it. And if it's awesome, we're just going to continue. Wow. And at 16, I mean, you're still kind of, I mean, things will get you scared, but you're. I think you're able to bite, fight back that fear a little bit easier at 16 than you are at, say, 36. You know, it's uh, fear is an amazing thing as you get older. It takes a much tighter grip. <laughs> so, yes, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. I, I never said to uh, an interview. Uh, it it looks like if you think about it, it was like uh, mean to be scary to the very very end. Mm. So we did this class with like six or eight students. I don't remember exactly, and we were working by pairs. So I was with my. Uh, my best friend, but just before we jump, we were at the end of the of the taxiway, waiting for the the plane to come back. And there was two guys that were uh, was jumping just before us. And this the last guy, I don't know how he managed to do this, but just after he exited with the static line, he, he bailed and um, he catch his own pilot shoot. And I like he stayed in free fall for like twenty seconds instead of three. Oh. Oh, now you were watching this and we were on the ground watching that. And uh, it was this useless uh, um, shout from the instructors saying like, uh, open your arms or whatever, because there was no way for him to, to hear anyway, but he, he tried. So we had the, um, we had the radio on, on the head and it was like very loud, like do something, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was like kind of scary. And after we entered the plane, very small Cessna, this kind of so small Cessna that uh, when you open the door, it goes against the the, um, the wing, yeah, yeah. and you're you alone. Only yourself can go side to the pilots to exit. Even the instructor can go with you. So it was like the scariest thing to the very end. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I think that uh, um, that's almost kind of a cool way to learn as opposed to uh, going to a big turbine drop zone and doing the first tandem out of a twin otter where you're very insulated and around a bunch of people the way you did it, which is very similar to the way that I did it. Man, you are just in it. You've got to go 100%. <laughs> <laughs> which oh, yeah. is which is cool because if you look back on it, you go, "Oh fuck, I had to have balls to do that." So <laughs> it was cool. Now, what was your first jump like? I I kind of prefer my second because my first I was so filled with emotions. I was trying to to contain all these emotions, but I was like like a robot, you know. Whatever is gonna happen, I'm just gonna do what it what i was uh, meant to to do and uh, like the instructor told me and that's it so i was more like a robot like anything else but my mm. second jump i enjoyed more Nice, nice. My uh, my first one, my first few actually were tandems because I did the the uh, tandem progression program out of the states. Uh, and my first one was just super exciting, scary of course because it's your first jump. My second one, I was scared shitless because <laughs> my mind kept telling me, "You fucking moron, you survived it. Why are you doing this again?" <laughs> so number two was much scarier for me. <laughs> uh, Corinne, how was uh, your first jump? Uh -huh. My first jump, I also started. I started uh, static line. Um, actually, my really first jump was for when I was 18 years old. My family offered me a tandem jump, and I completely got uh, amazed by it. So I saved money, and years later, uh, in 2004, I started to do the class in Skydive El Paso, and I started the static line. So my first jump was a static line, and I really loved the fact that it was looking more like a stunt. Mm. Then, uh, then a jump, and I, I, I'm really glad I started there because the the ambience was just amazing. It was really, really cool. 
I'll bet. Well, so both both static line starts, which is pretty pretty rare these days. Anyway, I don't think there's too many operations still doing static line. So, pretty yes, cool. sir. <laughs> now, right. so what were you guys at sixteen? You you weren't uh, probably doing much for work, but you've both ended up being professional skydivers. So, what work was there before skydiving became life? Uh, so I was I was trying to to figure out what I was supposed to do in life, and I was this kind of uh, guy who were able to do anything, but not sure of what doing exactly, like precisely. So uh, I started to be um, a sport coach, and then I was a lifeguard, and then I was uh, I was watching boats from the beach, and I said, oh, I want to be a deckhand, and uh, then I said, oh, I want to be a skipper. So I finished to be, uh, I was captain on the boat when I uh, met Karin, and uh, this is maybe um, how she started to work also in the yacht industry just before we start to skydive competition. Wow. wow. See, I mean, that's pretty cool because actually your story sounds like more of a, a standard skydiver story. You're a jack of all trades, not necessarily a master of any, kind of looking for a direction. And if you're looking for a direction and skydiving falls in your lap, man, it's pretty tough to walk away from that. Uh, it, which is funny because I've talked to a, a lot of professional skydivers that were bankers and lawyers and PhDs before that walked away from the so-called amazing careers that you're supposed to want and said, fuck it, I want to go jump out of airplanes, which is an incredible thing. Uh, we had, so, sorry, we had a, um, a post. We couldn't hear you for a while. Could you say that again? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying that uh, it's – it's uh, kind of cool all the different varied backgrounds that you get from people coming in to the sport uh, and the lives that they walk away from to take skydiving on full time. Uh, doctors and lawyers and, and PhDs that say fuck it and go and become full time skydivers, which is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those sports that uh, it's all encompassing. Now. When you guys got started in jumping, you were obviously just jumping for fun, but you guys have been competing for a long time now and really kind of towards the top on competition. What drove you to want to compete, and especially in this style? Uh, so when we when we started to live together with Karin, um, in the first year we were being together, uh, we started to, to, to talk some nights about uh, life in general. And one of these nights, we have this conversation about potential regrets we could have in life. And I was like 27, and I said, oh, yeah, now um, I'm I'm kind of old, you know. This is the way you think when you're 27. Of course. Of <laughs> and I, course. Just regret, I just regret I never did the competition in skydiving because I did in a lot of sports that I – it's not I didn't care about them, but it's, it was just like for, for pleasure. And this passion that I had already of skydiving, I was like – I miss, I never done competition in skydiving. Right. And Karen said, no, no, you just forget about having regret. Just, just. Actually, what I it. said is, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I have already a regret. So uh, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a good state of mind, like uh, saying that you have regrets that young, especially when the regret is reversible. You know, like it's something you can do to change it. So sure. I just said, let's start a team and let's see where it takes us. She saved me. Right. That, well, which is fantastic. But now here's the question. There are very few, at least as far as I know, there are very few competing couples in skydiving. Does that get weird? Yeah. He tried to kill me many times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. I know a couple from from my history uh, um, that have have competed and done quite well. Uh, but if you talk to someone like Patrick K and Siobhan, they don't even fucking jump together. He's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, learn your own shit, do your own shit. Don't come skydive with me. Um, David uh, Ludwig Jr. Same thing. He and his wife don't really jump much. So how do you guys pull off not just competing together, but competing at a world class level without killing each other? <laughs> that that's hard for sure i think all the the couple you mentioned they can do it it's like um the curtis for example i mean if you if you pass this period very hard period like you want to to kill each other because uh, you talk about this all the time in your free time as well there is no more pause you're just in it all the time so if you pass this very hard period and start to 
kind of chill down and say, okay, sometimes it's my mistake, sometimes it's yours, so let's don't talk about it anymore, and and then it's uh, it's easy. But uh, it takes maybe a year to to go over this this thing. I think for sure. Um, I think for sure. I admire Greg in uh, for staying with me because it's way much easier to have two guys with a similar body shape and uh, similar strengths and similar levels to go on and uh, and work together for this adventure. So it was really like a hard work that he's done, uh, trying to keep up with me or make me always boost my level so I could keep up with him actually. And um, it was really, really cool for that. But also uh, after we <laughs> fight a lot for uh, mainly ideas of um, program into the jumps because uh, I'm more like the creative one with crazy ideas and he's more the rational one with uh, technical uh, inputs. So after we, like if you if you put this fight aside, then because we know each other together. Sure. Well, the, the fact that you guys can get past it at all and uh, um, fight through fighting uh, to get to the point where you can mix the creative with all the technical stuff is amazing because most people wouldn't last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you'd end up killing each other. So, I mean, you guys must be handling the quarantine really well then because you already spend all your time together. <laughs> Yeah, I would say I was telling him that I'm like, wow, we're lucky because we know how it is to be on each other's back every day. Whereas couples that are staying together for quarantine might end up like discovering uh, sites that they didn't know about each other and <laughs> might be killing. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, I'll tell you what, it's a test. My uh, my girlfriend and I moved in together three days before we got locked down. Whoa! So, How is it going so far? We're learning. <laughs> we're learning a lot. <laughs> so now th this mix of creative and technical, you guys pull off moves that I mean, I've I've seen the routines. They fucking blow me away, and you guys are pulling off stuff that I I, I had never thought of and never seen. So where are these coming from? Because some of them don't even seem possible. Thank you. And. Um it's like you learn years after years that uh, you have to forget some crazy move you would like to do and they're impossible and uh, some of the move you think they were kind of okay you can make them look so cool so you have to work with both of these different uh, aspects of skydiving we love uh, for example um, Cirque du Soleil we've been to so many shows because the it's like it's the same. You think, okay, I see, I I've seen already everything that can be done in the cirque, and every time you go, you say, wow, I never seen that. And sometimes it's just adaptation or different kind of perspective of the same movements, but it looks so nice. Yeah, and sorry for me, I I, think I used the the way I used to work with the design from my school was like if you want to do like a, if you want to do let's say you want to create a chair so before you go and start making sketches of a chair you would like to realize uh, you just go for the research period first so you're going to look at different chairs and you're going to pick up the one that you think are cool and then you're going to figure out why do you think it's cool and then you're going to like make your own little mix and uh, and then you can go and create your own chair with all the cool ideas that uh, inspired you before so I think uh, for most of the moves that we have that are different uh, from what you see usually in our routines uh, come from a lot of different stuff that we were looking at, like um, uh, arti artistic ice skating and uh, uh, acro yoga and gymnastic and Cirque du Soleil. So this is a little mix that we try to do with our own ideas. Well, and it's turned out amazing. I mean, it's funny that you guys bring up Cirque du Soleil because I've seen, I lived in Vegas for a long time, so I'd seen many, many of their shows there. And just like uh, coming out of a Cirque du Soleil show, watching one of your guys' routines makes me feel useless and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, 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 I'll, I'll never forget. We had a bunch of the Cirque du Soleil people come out to jump in Vegas and we took a bunch of them and ended up getting to go see the show and watching that show, having, you know, taken these people on what they thought was this amazing experience, but sitting in the audience thinking, I have no fucking talent whatsoever <laughs> because you're watching these people do this amazing stuff. And I mean, I know that's not, that's not true, but just like them, I watched the routines that you guys are doing going, there's just not a fucking chance in hell. <laughs> but it's also, that's the joy of skydiving as well, is there's always something to learn. And I don't begrudge someone that's dramatically better than me because I'm inspired by it, which I'm sure most people are watching your routines, except for somebody that's got to compete against you. <laughs> Cheers. So, yeah, um, well. Sorry, I was just going to say, so a lot of the moves that you've done that are unique and um, haven't been seen before, did you find that as you were trying to pull these things out of the bag that you were getting pushback from so-called establishment skydiving and saying, well, we didn't like that move because it looked weird? Um, I don't know. But like the, the exit where we did 2018 was really risky. Like uh, if I if I uh, show you videos of all the all these many times that work looks like so bad, and um, this exit came from actual um, not an accident, but uh, this kind of period sometimes you record yourself to do some tests, like you just go crazy for three or four days, mm. and and you just try everything, everything, and we have these exits like the rotation thing, yeah, and it was like okay, very nice but we have no way how to finish this exit. It just rotate, 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 and then explode. And uh, so we put it somewhere on the, on the side, like, okay, we're gonna never use it because it looks nice from the side, but then we can do nothing about it. Right. And then when we had to try something that was not seen from everybody, we say, okay, so this thing, of course, nobody's doing this because there is no way to end it. So let's find a way to end this thing. And then we're gonna have this uh, beginning of the jump. So, well, and it, I mean, I know the exact exit that you're talking about, and it all turns out so spectacularly. I mean, it really is very unique in anything that I've seen in free flying. It, it uh, kind of just was a complete departure, which is why it stood out so much. Now, uh, does a lot of your training uh, get done in the tunnel before it's taken to the sky? Uh, actually, we use the tunnel to boost our own um, skill, but we don't. We don't try to reproduce or work on specific uh, moves that we're going to use in the sky in a tunnel because it never matches the speed that you're going to have in free fall for real. Uh, because in a tunnel, you ask for a certain speed and then the driver puts it on for you and then you adapt to that speed. Whereas in the sky, you just do the move and then the speed is a consequence of what you're doing, but you have no clue how, how much is that speed. So it would be dangerous, actually, to work on specific uh, moves in a tunnel and try to put it in the sky because you would be lost. You would never find your sensation the same thing again. Oh, I can completely understand that. So you say you use the tunnel basically just to reaffirm your skills but not work on any specific routine. Yeah. yeah yes, we, we do um, uh, horizontal flying, like low speed, and uh, vertical flying, like two-way dynamic a lot so we can be very stronger on uh, both vertical uh, body flights positions and uh, then we have some fun sometime with medium speed i think the only game changer that we're gonna witness the the, the year uh, coming it's the the big abu dhabi tunnel with the gear if you put your gear on maybe you can work two way like in the sky yeah i heard something about that that tunnel was allowing you to put on dummy rigs Ah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was dummy rigs. I could be talking out of my ass, but I thought it was dummy rigs so that you could get the idea of what any move you were going to be pulling off where the rig was like. Uh, because you're, especially when it comes to that, yeah, not having equipment dramatically changes your flight characteristics for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it's and it's it's cool for me to hear that you're working out the routine specifically in the sky and stuff. Um, being old school myself, I kind of take pride in the fact that I learned how to free fly 60 seconds at a time. Um, because <laughs> I didn't have the benefit of the tunnels. Of course, now it's amazing to have those tunnels and access to them to accentuate training, but it's nice to hear that you guys are, are putting in the real work one jump at a time, which honestly makes the, the routines a little bit more impressive. Yeah, <laughs> well, for me, it was also like um, 
it's it was important for us to use the routine of a free fly outdoor uh, to do something that you can really only do from plane and not doing the tunnel because uh, I think nowadays uh, the free flying skills are more about taking what you can do in a tunnel and put it in the sky and yes okay it's cool because it's a new like it's a fresh way of flying but but also it's kind of frustrating because you can you cannot do so many moves as you can do um yeah i think what we try to do is like really um use the fact that we're doing a routine from the from an aircraft from the the sky and uh trying to find some specific moves that you can only do into this in the sky and not in the tunnel i know nowadays um the the free fly is more about trying to take your tunnel skills into the sky uh, and yes, I think it's a fresh way of uh, flying, but also it's kind of uh, frustrating because you cannot do all the moves that you can do in a two-way dynamic routine. You cannot put it in the sky because you're lacking references and uh, you don't. your body shape will end up uh, flying a different speed than your teammate. And uh, that's going uh, to be weird. So most, mostly frustrating, actually. Uh, so I think we tried for our routine that represented to the world uh, championship. We really tried to to find some cool moves um, that haven't been seen before, just because we can only do it from the sky. Sure. Now, when you were walking into that championship, did you guys know that you had a bunch of stuff that no one saw coming, or were you not sure how it was going to play? We we kind of we were in the in this like. Uh, uh bubble how do you call you call that bubble in english as well yeah yeah you were in a bubble yeah yeah we were like in, in this like for the the last uh, year for the last 10 12 months so we were not paying attention anymore about any other teams or any anything outside like we were just in this triangle with uh, karine and uh, baptiste the video guy and we're just focused on ourselves we also said uh, in the championship, we will not even watch other jumps or other notations. That's got to be tough to do. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Like, hey, uh, you know your score, you know your rank. And I was like, sure. <laughs> like, let me, let me do my bubble. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I do not want to know. Well, all right. So if, if you managed to do that for the entire competition, when the results come down, how floored were you guys? Knew on jump six that we were um, like, yeah. we were likely to win if we didn't fuck up the last jump. So it, it, it put a pressure that was really terrible. That jump in the play, yeah, it goes up and down, and I was like, "Fuck this guy!" Like the the um, the stress was so intense that was like, yeah, it was, it was time to stop. Yeah, I mean, it had to be. I mean, uh, I've I've been in very few competitions. In fact, the last time I competed in anything was back in 98 for uh, a sky surfing competition in the Nationals. But we were so far behind the leaders that they were actually giving us tips on how to do better during our jumps. <laughs> so there was no pressure because we knew we weren't going to win. There was not a fucking chance in hell. So we just had fun and it became uh, basically a, a U.S. Nationals boogie because we... Oh, that's the best. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fantastic. There was no pressure whatsoever and so it was all laid back. So I can imagine the pressure that you must have been under because it's something that you've you've isolated yourself for a year just so that you don't have that kind of pressure and then here on, on the last jumps they're like don't fuck it up yeah <laughs> but we were, yeah we had very good help from uh the previous year well i mean clearly whatever you did worked because holy shit you know i mean uh you kind of burst onto the scene between the jumpsuits and the jumps <laughs> <laughs> you definitely got a lot of attention. But now when you're outside the spotlight and you're not competing, what's day-to-day -day skydiving life like for you guys? What What is it you spend most of your time doing now? Um, we The three last year before Australia, we were already doing a lot of tunnel camps to manage to gather enough money to train the, the, the maximum in the best way. Mm. So we just continue to keep this 10 12 tunnel camps that we have a year but we also enjoy to finally say yes to all, all these invitations 
We, we had to say no for years, like all these boogies all around the world. So we just enjoy now to go everywhere, like in Brazil and Australia and USA all the time. Well, the traveling for you guys now has got to be spectacular. And I'm guessing you've got a long list of places that they want you load, load organizing and, and uh, doing all that stuff. Are there any places that are hopefully coming up that really stand out that you're really waiting for? Uh, we were actually waiting a lot for uh, Fiji that had been canceled because of the virus. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah Fiji, so... Fiji was the yeah was was the dream of the year. But also, we were very happy to be invited again to go to Egypt because jumping there is like I it still feels weird to be allowed to jump over the pyramids. Oh, it has so, to be. Yeah, when you, when you open your you can. Open it's i mean it's just one of the the supposed to the picture that you guys have of you directly over the top of the giza pyramids is ridiculous it's ridiculous <laughs> i mean who the fuck gets to do that stuff and it's it's a very small select group of people that have been able to go uh and uh hopefully one of these days i'll actually be able to go as well i'm i'm good friends with omar who helps uh, you know organize a lot of this stuff and i was lucky enough to go up and see skydive everest happening firsthand and so all these spectacular things but man to be able to actually be in free fall over the pyramids it's gotta just be the most a bizarre thing <laughs> yeah and then being under canopy so close to them and and being like if you wanted you could go and touch the the stones you know on top of uh of the pyramid yeah, yeah, so if, you, if, just... you, if you go crazy you can just go for it like it's like if we are jumping close to the statue of liberty or eiffel tower okay i can just crash on it if i want <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, like, when you're up there, you're like, "What a lucky bastard I am right now!" And uh, it's it's just. It's just gratitude is not enough. <laughs> it's right? just amazing. Well, you know, and it's kind of funny, too, because I think skydivers inherently get a level of gratitude that most people don't get just because of what we get to do, no matter what the view. It doesn't matter if yeah. I'm over a bunch of cow patties in the middle of nowhere. It's still amazing. Somebody took me up in an airplane and let me jump out and just, you know, visit this wonderful world for, you know, two or three minutes at a time. But then if you take that and put it over these spectacular locations, I mean, I've been lucky enough to jump in some beautiful places as well. So, I mean, it, you can't get more gratitude than that. It's just thank yeah. you. you know? We have a good view. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's So now uh, you guys say you, you worked on a lot of tunnel stuff to be able to get the money to be able to do a lot of this stuff and to train. And But uh, France is pretty big on sponsoring skydiving teams, are they not? Yeah, yeah, they're they are very good. They're amazing, actually. But uh, the thing is, we enter just after Chicago 2016 on this uh, process. So we didn't uh, enjoy the money for uh, most of our years. So it was like just two years on ten that we get uh, some support from uh, from the French Federation. But it was was good, huh? <laughs> for which sure. Is, which is spectacular because I know that uh, um, that uh, that was always for a lot of the American teams that are like, grr, those fucking French are so good because they're sponsored. <laughs> but you oh, guys, that's for sure. You know, no, no, we have to say yeah. it helps definitely. Of the course. thing is, when you when you enter the French teams, uh, it's not written anywhere, but it's like kind of okay. Now just do the performance whenever you can. So th th it uh, it takes a lot of pressure off. You, you, you just focus on training and uh, taking a good, uh, good shape, and uh, you packed, and uh, you, you just have to jump. So it's it's the best, uh, the best environment ever for sure. See, that's spectacular. Now, why does France have that outlook, and uh, why are they so giving in regard to the sport of skydiving? Because skydiving mm -hmm. from a lot of countries isn't it's not looked down on, but it's considered a very frivolous thing, especially when you consider it a sport. They don't consider it a sport. So why is France so good about it? Uh, my my point of view is uh, it's kind of the hard, the, the oldest uh, activity like uh, skydiving exists forever in France and the, the military skydiving is very powerful here so um it's very important in our government in, in the ministry that we have and, um, they they have a lot of uh, licenses every every year and they, they have this big um, percentage of the licenses that goes to the teams so i think the country could do that i mean if they 
if they plan to say, okay, we're gonna make this license 100, 150 bucks a year, which is a lot, but a third is gonna go for the teams that's gonna represent the country, and here you go, you have a program to pay your teams. I think also because um, because the military were. Um, uh, and they started military and then they started to uh, bring back medals and then it extended to the sportive world and they also got medals and so I think it, it also helps to get to the government and uh, ask some uh, help from um, I don't know difference yeah that, that, region that, or? that's the thing it's very old uh, activities of skydiving in france is very very old fair enough well and i mean it's it's got a, a little bit of age in the united states as well but it was all kind of bandit uh you know illegal kind of feel to it in the states you know i mean i, I had an interview with bill booth and he tells the story of uh him going out for his first skydive and the only reason that he went to make a jump is because some round parachute slammed into the road right in front of him and he went out and made a jump <laughs> instead of going surfing and then he tells the story of of uh going to a boogie where somebody spiked uh, the water with uh lsd and everybody's jumping high as kites <laughs> slightly different vibe <laughs> yeah, <for sure>. <laughs> <laughs> slightly different so maybe not as respectable in the states when it started out uh although it's definitely gotten there and i think the the uspa has done a lot for uh, upping the respectable level of, of skydiving but I, I i i wish it would change but i don't see the u.s government ever seeing it as something that they would want to sponsor i mean hell they don't even sponsor their olympic athletes so yeah, you so, can come, but for sure you have a big country, very big. So you need first a union with all the states to agree with this. Yeah, it can happen, but it needs a lot of work. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, with everything else that's going on, I think that's going to take backseat to a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what uh, what big competition is next? And are you guys uh, uncorking a whole bunch of new, interesting, crazy stuff we're going to see? Ah, the, uh, the thing is, uh, we we decided to not go in Russia in in August. Uh, unfortunately, we we worked like the five last years with the same camera guy who um, did an amazing job. Did yeah, amazing, amazing job for sure. And the fact that he for sure didn't want to continue, we were like, wow, do we really have to train another guy at this uh, level? Hmm. And the fact that we use uh, a lot of uh, three way a flying three-way you know we don't um, use cameraman just to turn around us we have a lot of uh, motion with him mm. so if we have to replace him that needs maybe 200 or 300 jumps just to show him the two compulsory and the free round maybe so we are talking about a year just to show somebody else what he's supposed to do so we can do something harder yeah. so it was it was like a lot of yeah, we, we, we've thought about it a lot. Uh, our previous uh, world champions around us said, ah, just just forget it. Like you, you finally can do something else now, so just enjoy. Hmm. Uh, even Omar Lejelan said the same, like, oh, you did for 10 years. Now you finally got it. Just do something else. Sure. Have fun. Yeah, because just like over the 10 years that we trained um, to competition, we actually only had the two last years into the French Federation. That means eight years sponsoring ourselves. Um, and that's a lot of money, like, oh, yeah. like a lot. So also, you know, it kind of like use your nerves and, <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> so it's also enjoyable to finally have some time for us. Sure. I mean, especially with eight years of training, coming up with all these ideas, designing amazing jumpsuits, all that stuff, and having to pay for every fucking thing. I mean, that's got to be a whole new level of stress because we're not talking about small change. This is big money. Yeah. No, no, it was. This is why also we we lost a couple of competitions before because the pressure was just too high. And uh, 2015, it was the, the first time we, we, we could beat the French team on the nationals. And um, we, we had a, uh, a better jump, a better free round, and uh, the pressure was too high. Because if we were uh, finally winning them, the, the, the federation would have to push uh, all us to do the, the World Cup in 2015. That would have changed everything. And the pressure was so, so high 
I, I just do huge mistakes I never did in the training and, uh, and we lost in the competition, in the, in the competition. and, uh, well, yeah, the pressure of, of the money is really bad. Really well, pressure is an insane thing, but especially when you start to factor in having to think about the financial implications of not winning and all that stuff. I mean, just competition alone is enough pressure. But then you take the for for the non skydiver that's listening to this podcast, all they're thinking is, "But you could fucking die," and we don't even <laughs> think about that pressure. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, skydiving is still a dangerous sport. So you're not just dealing with how did you do in the competition? Uh, how did the financials turn out? And are we going to be able to do this or that or the other? You still got to not die. That's for sure. You know. But uh, we did, I think when Wait, you think we about can, it. We can die doing that? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. But when you think about it, I think for sure we're going to have to write a book about all this story because we did pretty much all the mistakes in these years. Like in 2015, again, was interesting because we did this huge mistake of uh, overtraining. We've been uh, stupid enough to go for 40 days in uh, Arizona, in Eloy. Straight. Everybody there was said, like, you, you're crazy, guys. We nobody trained train, Nobody <laughs> trained 40 days in a row. You're just <laughs> stupid people. And we just overtrained. That was like we are becoming crazy for sure. Well, I mean, it does get a bit of uh, obsessive there, but I suppose for you guys, you've traveled all the way to Arizona. You're there for one purpose, so it's kind of go balls out to get it done, right? I mean, that must have been the, the yes. mindset. Yeah, yeah it, at, at the end, even if it's not on the year, at a certain point, this uh, episode helped for sure. Because sure. it was like, now there is no way we're going to, we have to fight to the end. There is no way. Right. I think right. it's like, we, we, we trained so much and we dedicated our lives so much into that goal that we... We really, really wanted to make the most of it. So that's why the this last jump of the world championship was so important for us. Cause like if we managed to win, it was not such a was not just like, oh cool, we're world champion, we won a competition. It was just like a huge level of uh, different meanings for us. Like it was a it was winning for so many things that we've done the last ten years. Sure. So it was a very important uh well, result. I I would imagine if I was in your shoes, probably the overwhelming feeling that I would have after being overjoyed that I would won would be relief. Like, oh, thank fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. So we, we spent the whole year after that, every morning waking up, we said, wow, wow we, we, we did it. Like yeah. every morning, every morning. And uh, I took time to, uh, to go to say thank you to everybody who helped us so far. And I missed just one guy so far. I missed to see Ray Kubiak. He was one of the guy in 2008 who were watching us uh, starting the, the thing and uh, had very good feeling with us. And two years after, when he started that we, we started officially something, he said, oh, you guys, one day you're going to be world champion. Oh. And we were like babies. And uh, I need, I still need to see him now to say thank you. So I've got a great Ray Kubiak story that I've told on the podcast before. Uh, I used to work as a tunnel instructor in Las Vegas back at Flyaway when it was still just a circus ride. Big baggy suits and mushy air, and it was more of an amusement <laughs> ride than a wind tunnel. Ray Kubiak shows up uh, having never flown in the tunnel before and got hired as a, an instructor trainee. Uh, and I was the one that taught him how to fly. And I'll say it now, and I've said it before, he was the worst fucking student I've ever had. <laughs> really? He was horrible because he's fucking six foot five. He was tall and skinny, and he would just track his, himself face first into the wall all damn day long. <laughs> and, of course, now he's one of the greatest tunnel flyers that ever hit the air. Uh, and it just, I'm in awe every day, but I get to pat myself on the back and say that I taught Ray Kubiak how to fly in a tunnel. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. But for he's, sure. he's such a wonderful guy. I, I love hearing yeah. stories like that. And this is one of the things that's so fucking cool about uh, skydiving and tunnel flying. The community is spread all around the world with all these amazing people, but it's such a small community as well. Because who would have thought? You and I have never spoken before, but you want to say good things about Ray, and it's just this tight little circle. It's like two degrees of separation in this sport, which is wonderful. That's beautiful. 
It really sure. is. It really is. I mean, it's uh, it's the coolest thing in the world to know that skydiving is such a community that, uh, and I'm sure you're the same, I've got a couch or a sofa or a bed in every country around the world that has jumpers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How amazing is that? I mean, come on. What other sport do you have like that? Not many, yeah. Sure. No, I can't. no, but we have the coolest anyway. Yeah, we have the coolest. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, do you guys have any other sports outside of skydiving that you used to do or that you still do? Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, we we used to. I used to do a lot of. Uh, we used to do a lot of karate. Okay. Karate. Uh, that helped. As and well. um, I kind of like had to stop when when we started to train because. Like, because it takes all your time, really. And um, because of the um, sessions in the tunnel as well that are pretty physical, then when you have a little bit of free time, you just don't want to go for another type of training. You just want to rest your body a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I really love doing karate and uh, we pushed it quite uh, far. I went to brown belt and Greg went to, to uh, black belt. Oh, wow. And I was actually going to train for and go for my black belt. But this year in 2009, I broke my femora trying to swoop too early. So oh. I had to postpone that. Yep. Yep. That'll do it. Now, you had mentioned that you guys, uh, um, you pulled ideas for some of your routines from stuff like acro yoga. So have you guys done acro? No. We did a little bit uh, once we tried. for we tried. fun. But uh, I think, yeah. This this looks very making a lot of sense because you play with the uh, center center point. Yes. Of gravity. How do you call that? The point of gravity. Yeah. Okay. So playing with that tells you a lot because everybody has a different shape, uh, and uh, for sure it helps a lot. I sure. did just fifteen minutes minutes, but I, I enjoyed already. Like, okay, I. It's the same kind of balance and stuff that you can do in a gymnastic on karate, condense in uh, one second. Okay, you have to find the exact point. Yes, good. absolutely. Well, and it's really good at uh, um, at just adding to body awareness, which is clearly something that's needed in you know buckets with the kind of stuff that you guys are doing. You guys have got to be aware of literally every angle and every movement to be able to pull off the stuff that you're doing. And it's got to be able to come second nature, which, let's face it, takes – well, shit, you guys have got, what, 6,000 and 10,000 jumps each? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it it takes a lot of jumps to get to that point. For sure, and a lot of repetition. Once you once you found uh, um, a stunt or like a, a figure, figure. That, that you like, then you have to repeat it so much that it becomes natural to do it. But at the beginning, you just fail and try again and sure. fail and try again, and that's how you get further in life, right? So when you banged out the routine that won you the medal, did you just go, thank fuck, we never have to do that one again? No, I was actually sad to yeah, not yeah. do it again. <laughs> yeah. No, me too. I was, I was uh, like going to do two or four more years, but uh, I was not expecting uh, the video guy to stop. Uh, but yeah. It was actually, I have to say, like um, because we were paying for all the our jumps for so long, we usually, for the years before, we usually took our routine from the past year and improved it a little bit. And once we entered the French Federation system, um, I told Greg, okay, I'm fed up with those routines that we keep the skeleton and never really add something completely fresh new. So I, I told him the only condition that I continue doing this is that we start from fresh and that we only do new stuffs. So it was really, really nice to enjoy the fact that we didn't have any more financial pressure to work on new moves. And uh, Well, and probably exciting to be able to just wipe the slate clean and start from scratch. Yeah, and also, so that's the reason that I was a little bit sad when uh, the competition ended, because it was the really first time that I had so much pleasure flying the routine every time. So it was really, really cool. Now, have you guys thought about other disciplines? So, so we do, we do for fun some. Uh, I mean, for fun, it was part of the training as well. But uh, I mean, not on a professional level. We do some two-way dynamics, and um, this year was the third year we were participating to the nationals. And this year was good because we had one week of training. It was the first time we were doing a 
intense training before. And we, we've been uh, second. We, we got the silver on the Nationals on two-way dynamics. So it was very nice. With two weeks training. Just <laughs> uh, one week training. One week training. One yeah, yeah. Week training. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I always joke around and say I consider myself an average skydiver and that I like seeing people that are so much better than me. But sometimes it's just annoying. <laughs> yeah we we fly a lot so oh man can. well yeah it's it's got to now so i've never jumped in france so i don't really know what it's like but uh you know england is relatively close and their weather sucks so how is it in france so we we, we have our two lucky uh, uh spots in france we you can go to the east in gap in the mountain on or southwest in close to toulouse this is two different places then uh, you can jump Nice. Uh, 250 or 300 jumps a year. It's good. Really? Yep. And, well, it's got to be pretty damn beautiful as well. Gap is amazing. Gap is beautiful, yeah. Now, what's uh, number one on your list of all the places that you've jumped except the pyramids? Where else is just too good to Very be? Very The K. The K boogie in uh, in Cairns, northeast yeah. of Australia, oh, yeah? is just mind-blowing. It's got to be stunning. Yeah, I don't know if you heard about that. It's just uh, the case, uh, how they call the, this little piece of sand lost in the barrier, great barrier. Just the, that's the, that's the sandbar, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's very, so it changed uh, shape and, uh, and size every year. They said it didn't exist 15 years ago, and now it's there. And uh, we, did, uh, we did last year, and uh, we did 2018, and for example, it's already shrink of uh, 30 meters. Wow! So you ne we never know if it's gonna last, but it's um, it's a bit more than two hours uh, from uh, with boat from the coast, so it's very far away. And uh, of course, if you miss the if you miss this piece of uh, sand, you you're, you're, <laughs> you're swim. Right? <laughs> How spectacular the shit that they let us do. I mean, yeah. I, I've been very lucky and I've jumped over some amazing places as well. I was lucky enough to actually work in Fiji back in the day, uh, just chucking drogues. But still, you're in free fall <laughs> over, you know, 300 islands just looking around. I'm not paying attention to my tandem student because the view's too beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you know, same thing with New Zealand. I was lucky enough to jump in the Bay of Islands out there. And so there's just so many amazing things. And then to top it off, they put us in airplanes and let us go jump out. I mean, come on. That's that's easy for sure. Sometimes jump on small islands like this. You you like here since thirty years, and they never get to see what I'm seeing right now. Right. I know it. I'm, you know, I, I've been working as a jump pilot for many, many years now before that, of course, jumping. But as a jump pilot, I've literally got my phone filled with thousands of pictures out the window of a twin otter. And I don't know any other profession that is taking pictures of their office like every single day. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Who? Yeah, we have a lot of um, friends that are pilots for uh, big airplanes. Mm. And uh, it's it's really cool to see that no matter how many times they've been up there and doing the same uh, uh, destination, they are still taking pictures while they're in flight and still get amazed by the beauty of, mm -hmm. of it. Oh, so yeah. it's well, I think that's that's something that I think most, at least most skydivers have in common is is a constant sense of awe with what we get to do. I'm I'm always just looking around, jaw open, going, "Holy shit! I don't believe I get to do this." <laughs> and that's really important not to lose it. Oh yeah, I mean, then I mean, it's not worth doing. I actually took about a four-year break from skydiving because I was finding myself in freefall, worrying about real-life problems at exactly the wrong time, and went, "Okay, time to stop jumping." And I took about a four-year break and didn't start jumping again until the idea of making a skydive made me nervous again. And then I went, oh, okay, I'm going to be focused on that again. It's time to go. And it was amazing. <laughs> so not wanting to, you don't want to lose that drive. And, and it's especially after 10 years with you guys competing, it's pretty spectacular that you guys maintained that through the entire thing. Yeah, well, that will, I don't think it will go away ever because every time I'm under canopy, like every single time, every single jump, I'm like, wow, how lucky. Isn't that great? Who gets to do that? Come on. It's so cool. 
<laughs> it's great. And when it's such a unique uh, personality that can grab onto something like that, especially with as much pressure as you guys put on yourselves, you know, I mean, with all the training and all that to still after every jump be under canopy and just be amazed with what you're doing is, is pretty rare. That's really, really cool. Now, uh, I wanted to ask, so your, your cameraman has left and you're going you're gonna to pass on the next big competition. Are you guys planning on replacing him and, and uh, moving forward? I don't really know. That's a good question. I was thinking about maybe coaching the French teams as well. I, I'm still thinking about uh, everything that's going to happen. I have a lot of options. And this uh, big uh, hold in time with this virus is helping, to, helping me to think about it. I have a lot of options. But I think the team, uh, like, for us to compete and, and find a new camera for him if he needs to. Uh, it's it's too much energy, so I don't think we would go again for uh, the exact same configuration of free flight team. Sure. Well, you guys are kind of, I mean, you're walking away on top, so what a better way to go. Yeah, also. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not a bad way to walk away from it. Now, so coaching and all that kind of stuff, um, and I'm assuming you guys are going to be doing a lot of traveling uh, and load organizing and that stuff when things get back up and running, when this virus gives us a break. Yeah, hopefully. We have to reschedule everything, though, so it's a big mess and we don't really know how to fit everything because we, we had our schedule going up to November. So it's going to be a little bit difficult to to find the, the place to put everything. Yeah. Well, now, how are you guys handling it right now? I'm, I'm assuming you guys are under quarantine, at least to some degree, like the rest of the world is. How are you handling it? Um, actually, I, I think we didn't expect those, uh, and we were actually right now supposed to be going to Australia for some intense uh, uh, indoor and outdoor uh, coaching. So I guess we didn't, yeah, we didn't expect to be chilling, and it's actually quite nice. <laughs> it's actually quite nice because we we never really stop. Uh, we're just too excited about projects and keep on going on and. And yeah, it feels good sometimes to take some time for you. Yeah, it's it's nice to shut down a little bit. Although I find uh, uh, where I'm at, we've been under uh, uh, lockdown for a couple of weeks now, uh, and uh, it's starting to get a little bit boring. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's starting to drag on a little bit. I shaved my head the other day because it was just <laughs> too boring. So. <laughs> <laughs> now they've they've done Being, stuff. I, I know they postponed uh, Summerfest. I believe has been pushed back, and a lot of the drop zones in the U.S. have stopped. So that must help out a little bit. That a lot of the events that you were planning on going to are being delayed, not necessarily canceled. Yeah, the, the Summerfest. I was about to mention that. Like for example, they switch for the uh, they, they switch for the Fall Fest in Nagambi to go for the spring instead. But uh, we had already the day organized this moment. And now they also mentioned that uh, the world record, the female world record that was supposed to be in July, so maybe uh, done in October as well. So like it's going to be a big traffic at the end of the year of a lot of events. Yeah, but so will be full on. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. As long as uh, they get things handled like they think they will, the end of the year is going to be insane. I know that they yeah. pushed a bunch of stuff back. Project 19 got pushed back. Summerfest got pushed back. Boogies yeah. canceled all over the place. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all kind of just riding it out. Have you seen uh, – yeah. um, I just uh, uh, interviewed uh, Liquid Sky. Have you seen he's actually switched from manufacturing suits to manufacturing masks? Wow, oh, nice. That's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's got uh, I think the the website now is liquidskymask.com and he's he's uh, um taking orders and and uh for every one that somebody buys, he donates one. It's fantastic. That's crazy, nice. yeah. yeah. The, good, nice the good thing is like um not the good thing, sorry, but the big question still remains is uh most of our activities are worldwide. So for us, the big question is Oop, I missed. Sure. Uh, you, you got cut off there. Uh, say that one more time. The big question is what? Yeah, the countries we're gonna reopen the borders so we can come and 
from abroad because most of our uh, events were worldwide. So we're kind of like expecting to, yeah, to get to many countries and we, we get away. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, even where I'm at, uh, the drop zone that I work for is a very much a destination drop zone. Uh, so even once they've lifted the restrictions, I believe it's going to be quite a while before business gets back to usual because the rest of the world is still dealing with shutdowns and, and travel restrictions and stuff. So it, it's it's a weird time we're living in for sure. We were talking about being able to travel and all this stuff and being stuck with, uh, um, you know, waiting for all this different stuff to happen, which is definitely a pain. But um, hopefully the travel restrictions that are going to hit worldwide will lift enough that come October, uh, you guys are going to be able to do the stuff that you want to do. But it's going to be a busy month. Yes, that's the thing. We are still wondering if uh, all the country is going to be open at the same time or not. So, so it's very challenging to get organized, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... Oh, please, go ahead. Yeah, and October, it's going to be full on, for sure. <laughs> it is a very strange time. Hopefully, they do all open up at the same time. I was saying that uh, I work at a destination drop zone as well, and even when they do open the doors and we start flying again, I imagine a very slow start because the rest of the world's going to be lagging behind on when they're going to allow travel. So it's going to be weird. 2020 is going to be a strange season. Definitely. So I always wrap up the interviews by asking uh, experienced skydivers advice that you would give to those that are listening to the podcast that are just getting started in the sport. What should they be thinking about uh, and what their uh, mentality should be in the beginning of skydiving? And for those that are wondering if they should still stay in the sport, um, what advice do you have to them if they're bored or they're just kind of fed up with what's going on? Okay, so my... My tip for the all all these ones who just started skydiving is uh, try to never forget why you started, even if it's from a movie or from uh, anything special, and keep keep this in mind because it's very easy to start in a too big uh, drop zone where nobody pay attention to you or coming in this month that there is always too much wind or whatever and you can't jump. So just yeah, it's hard to do the first fifty jumps, one hundred jumps, but please. Don't forget why you started in the first place because after it worth all the all the gold in the world. Mm. Good advice. And for those that are please, please go ahead. And for sure I would say like um skydiving is even more than just a big sensational sport uh, that gives you like crazy emotions uh, jumping out of a plane, which is already a lot, but it's also a way to connect with uh, people that are really uh, out of uh, the ordinary and you get to meet different people from places uh, work and backgrounds that you would you wouldn't get to meet if you were just in a regular standard job so it's also a very nice uh, way to connect and get some share some nice adventure with a uh, new people. Sure. Well, I think that's been over every podcast that I've done. The overriding theme has been the community of skydiving, even over and above the actual jumping. Obviously, the jumping is what gets us out to the drop zone, but the community is what keeps it so tight. Yeah. So how about those that are are wondering if they should keep jumping? They're bored. They're sick of flying around on their bellies. They can't manage to fly on their head to save their lives. They just don't know if they want to keep doing it. What, What do you say to them? I think it's a mix of uh, what I said first, like uh, try to remember why you started in the first place and also what you said about the community. Like uh, sometimes you just need to find a new group of person. Everybody uh, start to maybe uh, stop someday because they have a kid or something. So just find another group and then it's become magic again. Like you can change, uh, you can go for another state or for another country and or for tunnel camp sometimes somewhere and, and then you say, Wow, I was in this camp, the two guys who just started the last week or whatever, or this guy is from this other country or whatever, and then the magic is back. Yeah. Yeah, I... for sure. Uh, having different point of views, so like different drop zones, different countries, different nationalities, uh different approach then. Uh, I think it definitely helps to make sure that you're really bored in this sport. 
if it's the case. Yeah, move. It's just it's too rich to to stay on one 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 place. Just yeah, move. for sure. Well, and as soon as you step into a different vibe, the the vibe can be infectious, and it can very much draw you back into what you loved about it in the first place. For sure. So tell everybody how they find out more about uh, your team, your jumping, if they want to come coach with you, if they want to come see you flying in the tunnel. How do they find out what's going on? Uh, uh, yeah, just contact us. I think um, Facebook is still the best because if we if we change countries, sometimes we don't have our phone with us. I mean, the 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 the, the chip from uh, from the country. So uh, my Facebook is always on. So Greg Rosier and Karin Jolie on Facebook is the fastest way for sure. Fantastic. Oh, as well. And we also have Instagram. So for younger people that don't have or don't really like Facebook, they can also reach us on Instagram. We have uh, the team page, Wax uh, Free Fly, and then we have our own uh, personal account. It's uh, Greg dot airwax and uh karen dot airwax as well awesome now do you have up there videos of these full routines and all that stuff that people can go check out yeah yeah for sure on the on the airwax uh, instagram account there is everything awesome awesome well hell i'm gonna have to go check that out myself so i can feel even less talented <laughs> <laughs> come on guys i appreciate so much you taking the time to sit down and talk to me i i absolutely am thrilled with watching what you guys have done and can't wait to see what comes next thank you so much, thank uh, you, much. you make us look good eh? thank you yeah no <laughs> believe me you guys are doing that all on your own and there you go another edition of lunatic fringe into the void brought to you by of course the greatest magazine in the known universe that's blue skies magazine you're going to want to head to blueskiesmag.com to subscribe to the magazine if you don't already you're going to want to check out all the previously published issues that they've got for you all the amazing swag you can send them your photos you can send them your article ideas believe me they're going to want to hear from you also brought to you by liquid sky have you seen these guys? Are you fucking kidding me? Not only do they put out these amazing jumpsuits, but as we speak in the middle of this global pandemic, what are they doing? They're making fucking masks to try and keep people healthy. They're not just making the masks. They're selling one and donating one. So come on, help them out. Get it out there. LiquidSkyMask.com, I believe, is where you can go for the mask. And LiquidSky.com if you want to know anything else, else about them. Awesome fucking jumpsuits. Fantastic crew check them out for me i am the fucking pilot as always you can find me on the fucking that's where you can find both the books that i've written uh, both the blue skies magazine's fucking pilot book and the accidental stripper both of them are in print and digital i am halfway through the audio book for the accidental stripper as well you can also find me on facebook at the fucking pilot and uh instagram at the princess pilot once again this has been lunatic fringe thanks for coming